0: Well, hello there and welcome to today's episode of 7 Figure Millennials, where together, you and I are on a mission to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships as we make our entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if you are a very first-time listener, I want to say welcome. I'm beyond excited to have you here. And if you're returning, you know how much I appreciate you for coming back week after week. And today, whether you are a new listener or an old listener, today, you and I get to hang out with Christina Wise. Christina Wise is the founder and CEO of Good Life Companies. Her multi-million dollar award-winning enterprise includes the renowned Good Life Realty, a nationally recognized real estate brokerage, Good Life Mortgage, and the Paperless Agent, a training company that helps real estate professionals become paperless and tech savvy. Her entrepreneurial spirit, bold leadership and technological innovations have made her a sought-after keynote speaker and earned her countless accolades. She was named one of the 100 most influential real estate leaders in the country, has been featured in USA Today, as well as by Apple, Contactually, and Evernote for her creative leadership with emerging technologies. She is also an international speaker and author of the Amazon bestseller Falling for Money, a romance novel for your bank account, her newest brand, Christina.com, and that's k-r-i-s-s-t-i-n-a is designed to help women learn to love money so that they can live a happy financially free and good life and in this episode you're going to learn so much as always but specifically i would love for you to pay attention to three specific things Number one, Christina's incredible story of growing up with two absentee parents in a trailer home to becoming incredibly successful, only to lose it all after living a life that she couldn't really afford. And then she built her wealth up the right way. So you're gonna learn that incredible roller coaster of a journey. Number two, why the answer to all money problems is not to make more money. Number three, why you should treat your household like a business and Christina really shares a ton of value here with some specific suggestions on how to allocate the money that comes into your household so that you can turn it into wealth. This is an absolutely incredible episode. And as you'll hear Christina share, there are so many people out there that have incredibly high incomes, but they're still broke and they don't know what to do with their money when it comes into their household. So if you want to learn how you can take the money that you're earning from your business and translate that into wealth that serves your family and build the lifestyle that you want, you will not want to miss this episode. So please enjoy this conversation with Christina Wise. You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Christina, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, and can't wait to dive in today. It's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and a huge shout out to Tom Matson for this incredible introduction, and uh, he's always connecting me with some awesome humans, so glad that we got connected because of that. I thought a fun place for us to start would be in some copy I saw on your site. So I'm just gonna read a little chunk of it and I would like to zoom in on one part of it. So uh, the beginning part says after growing up in poverty with two absentee parents in a trailer home, I vowed to never live in lack." That's not the part I wanna zoom into yet, but it says through sheer force of will, I pushed through challenges to learn from the best and brightest mentors in the world, like Gary Keller who personally mentored me as I grew my reputation in real estate. So first, I never like to assume that everyone knows every name that's mentioned. I know Gary's an incredible human. So I would love for you to explain a little bit about who Gary Keller is And then if you would, I would love to hear the story about how you ended up getting personal mentorship from him.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that before. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think the beginning of that, you know, when you're starting out young, there's kind of two things going on. One, you have to build self-confidence. And there's this kind of this idea that I know so much and those older people, you know, are older. But the more that we can really learn the wisdom from mentors and from those that have done it or, you know, have... I mean, we learn so much through experience, and if you can shave off a lot of mistakes that those of us had made, you know, then there's that you can at least shrink the the distance to success or the time to success. So with Gary, Gary Keller is the founder of Keller Williams, which is probably the largest real estate company in the world now. He's a billionaire, probably. You know, not when I studied with him, but I knew he would be. It was just one of those things. Gary was cut from a different cloth, and. And those of us that kind of started with him, we've all gone on to do very well. And that was his his motivation was to really help others to really learn how to build businesses, to think like business, and to ultimately build wealth. And so I started with the company back when it was much smaller. So I got that type of opportunity that you know people probably would, you know, really love to have these days that, that might not even be available. But I think why he chose me was because I started out, you know, when I was in my late 20s. And it was just that desire, that ambition showing up like he would do these little workshops when he was the one teaching at the time in small groups back then. And I went to every single one. And so much of what he talked to was just straight over my head. I had no idea. But I sat in the front row and I took notes and I was at every one. But I'd look around me and I'd wonder, like, this, this guy's a genius. Like, why isn't this, why isn't this room full? Like, why, why aren't people like out the door? I was always so surprised that that people weren't just, you know, took the initiative to learn from others that have done it before, you know. So I think that that's what he re- noticed that my hard work ethic and my showing up and my learning and, and me wanting to do what it takes and probably just that drive for success as well, you know. In the real estate industry, it can be a little bit more of a part-time industry or, you know, not really taking it all that seriously as real job and career. And, you know, for those of us that did and wanted to become great at business, you know, I think he took a liking to us. So anyway, it was a it was a huge opportunity. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I wouldn't have had
0: like him as one example of the mentors that I studied under. Hmm. So beautiful, and I think if I remember correctly, you you oh, we have a mutual connection of John Howard as well. I think John Howard was a guest on on my show, and I talked about very similar story about how he met his first mentor. He was showing up at all the workshops. He was taking the notes. He was implementing, and uh, you you would be. I would. I'm just. I find that as a commonality between people that land high level mentors is. It's not as complicated as you often think, but if you are that star student, if you are the person that's showing up, if you are the person that's willing to help out, um, that's really when they take notice to you. So I, I want to zoom in just a little bit more. So like, what was the? How did you jump from being the star student to like what were the? What was the first like 30 days of your relationship where it was more formal? How did you bridge that gap from being the star student to actually developing that next step of the relationship with him?
1: I, I mean, it was probably a couple of years of just like because okay. I was brand new and learning, and you know, about your age really. And, you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know, but just that complete desire. And then I started, I started succeeding, like I started hitting these numbers and I would go from starting being, you know, a kid basically to outperforming, you know, those people that had been in the office or with that company for, you know, had been in the real estate industry for, for decades, maybe, or, you know, and been in that office. And now was just outperforming and became like, you know, top, one of the top, Agents like in my in my city, really. So I think you know, once I'd kind of proven the, you know, I I, I learned and then I applied and then I succeeded. Then it was like, all right, he hand selected those that that did well. And he, you know, the first book that really put Keller Williams on the map, it was called The Millionaire Real Estate Agent MREA. And you know, he started out with this twelve of us, which were his students. That he mentored. His disciples. Yeah, it was was his disciples. And I think we went on, we learned from him. We built really great businesses through a couple of years of really masterminding with him. And like I said, the the 12 of us did, we've all done very well. But again, I think he selected us because he saw that we were students. And it's really, you know, there's, there's different things I've learned, but there's something called leadership and followership. And the best leaders are the best followers. And it's really looking to where to follow, who to follow and where to follow. And to follow with rigor, to learn with rigor, you know, and go all in. Don't half-ass it. You know, don't just make it academia. You know, we're in an information society. It's easy to get information, but it's not easy to learn. So, you know, to to be a good follower, a good student of the master or masters. And then there becomes a point where you're performing and that performance and results in success now, now we're like, all right, I can maybe move more in a master category, more in a leader category. But then, you know, and then leadership, those of us that are even leaders is looking for, where do I follow? I still follow, but really to be in this cadence of leadership and followership, take mm-hmm. learn leadership skills, be a leader, take initiative. Voice, you know, voice your vision, voice your standards, voice your beliefs when it's appropriate, and then let go of that and just become a really good student follower. And like you said early on, look for places to help. You know, that's another thing that I did that I try to teach my kids and teach those that are younger is that make yourself visible. Help people. Like if you help a billionaire make another billion, you're going to be a billionaire. You know what I mean? That that or whatever that number is. But we think we need to go out and prove ourselves and do it and work hard or maybe do all these things. And true, the, those are parts of it as well. But when you can really look at who you can help, like if people have money or success and you help them get more money and success, they're going to take you along with them, and you're going to have all sorts of opportunities. Usually just through learning and cutting off that learning curve. Like if you can. Be in the room with with the best and brightest and more successful through just osmosis and watching. You're going to take years off the success curve.
0: Yeah. One other thing I want to just highlight that I think is so brilliant that I think is kind of unspoken from what you said, but also another one of my observations is that I think there's an, uh, a myth that most people think is that you need to reach out to a mentor and say, will you be my mentor? I've never heard a real mentor relationships that actually those words came out of their mouth. It's usually some form of long-term trust building, long-term value adding, and then it naturally segues into a mentorship relationship. So I just wanted everybody to you know pick that apart there too. It's like Christina was just looking for ways to add value and that it, that's how it up manifesting so thank you so much for sharing that story yeah. that's incredible yeah. well
1: usually mentors choose mentees you yeah. know so they're noticing the difference between that person is going to be worth my time to mentor and when you get to a certain stage of success or age or combination of both you really do want to mentor the next generation but when we ask will you be my mentor that's it's almost off putting in a way like unless it's an ego thing but but it's like what's in it for me like there's a reason why my time is my most valuable most crucial asset that i have so what would be in it for me as a mentor, and many times saying, will you be my mentor? It's all about the mentee. It's not about what's in it for the mentor. So you're exactly right. And usually it comes from not, you, you framed it so well, it doesn't come like from asking. It's coming like, how can I help you? How can I get up close and personal? Can I take out your trash? Can I wash your window? You know, whatever it takes. And Same thing, that's really some of the values I try to teach my kids is, I don't like if you're cleaning the trash and bringing coffee to those that are having conversations in a room, you know, with that level of success, what an opportunity versus kind of an entitlement or, you know, these different pieces. And, mm-hmm. and you kind of get in the room and listen in and build trust and offer a lot of help and value. They're going to say, hey, come along.
0: Yeah. Absolutely incredible. And I just a huge takeaway for everyone right off the gate here. So here's, here's my uh, tentative plan for where I kind of want to go with things. I, I, you, one of the things I admire about you, Christina, is in going through your content is like you teach foundational principles, like you teach the stuff that's at the core of everything. So I want to, I don't want to miss some of those foundational concepts. But before we jump into that, I would love to get uh, from what I've heard from your story and what I've researched, you kind of have like two really big epiphanies. You probably have a lot more, but those are the two identified. One came from your early 30s and one came in 2013. Um, But I think that one that's maybe most relevant for our our listeners and for our conversation today is uh, if you could share a little bit about what was going on in your life in your early 30s and uh, what resulted in that and then kind of where you course corrected and how that led you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, the, the kind of the epiphanies are just these, you know, lessons that come out of life, you know, life, when it's working, or appears to be working, it's great, you think, you know, you're, you're all that and, you know, super brilliant. And then all of a sudden life hits, it's like, oh, maybe I wasn't right. And a metaphor I like to give there is like, pretend that you're, you know, you, you're you just super excited. And you're on a first class trip from, I don't know, Austin, Texas to, to London, and, and it's first class. So you're in first class, there's champagne, there's caviar they're bringing out all the stops, you're just sitting back, you just think life is amazing, and it feels good. But what you but if you don't know that there's only a tank of gas, it's going to get you halfway, <laughs> then all of a sudden it changes so many times we but you can't feel that there's no gas in the plane until it's taken a nosedive in the ocean. So a lot of times we're kind of in this plane thinking that it's got gas, you know, it feels just normal until we take the nosedive. So it's usually many times in those nosedives that all of a sudden we have to learn that, okay, there was some fundamentals or foundations that, that you know, were wrong that I was, you know, kind of applying. So my first one, when I grow up in such, you know, um, kind of a dire beginning, that what was good out of that, starting in a trailer home, like I said, and, you know, just, it was pretty rough upbringing in that, um, in that stage. But the good that came out of that is that, i learned how to make money and i learned that money matters so when i was ostracized and wasn't included and was made fun of because i didn't have the right clothes or i wore high waters or i, I had to stand in the i had to go to the school lunch line to get you know the, the all the things you know that were embarrassing and made you know made fun of i've learned that, oh, if I can buy the Jordache jeans, that was the jeans back in the day, if I can b- buy the polo shirt, if I can buy these things, all of a sudden I'd be included. And so there's that social realization. So the conditioning it, it made me is I got really good at making money. I became entrepreneurial and made money from like age 10 on. So making money was never an issue. Like I've always been a good money maker, figuring it out. And so some people make a lot of money and don't know how to keep it and some people just don't know how to make a lot of money all kind of you know these are all core money things that we can fix but that what that so that was good it gave me this mindset that there's no limit to the money I can make and you know but then I can buy what other people think of me so that was the part that didn't work so well is that I became so attached to my money representing my worth as who I am as a person and but, you know, I made a lot of money kind of those early days of real estate. The great thing about real estate back then um, and being top in sales year after year is that there's really no limit to how much money I could make. So I made so much. And what does a poor kid do that makes so much money? Well, they buy the life they couldn't afford as a kid. But I didn't understand money principles. At that time. So all of a sudden, I wind up divorced, single mom, no money, all my full commission business had gone, I'd lost everything kind of in the divorce fighting over stupid shit that, you know, seemed to matter, it was so important at the time, and just all the nonsense. But I wound up in a situation, it was just like a kid, I couldn't afford to feed my children. And and it was, it was existential despair. I mean, I had no money. I had no business. I had nothing. We moved from the big house in the suburbs to a teeny tiny crappy duplex in a bad part of town that had, you know, cockroaches everywhere, just nasty, nasty things. You know, so, you know, I kind of was in my self-pity party there for a while, just like, how did I wind up here? How did I wind up here? But finally, when I got over that pity party, I realized like, all right, nobody's going to save me. I've got to figure this shit out. What I realized, my big question, what I couldn't figure out, and, I, and so it became my purpose to figure, find out the answer to this, is how the hell could I have made hundreds of thousands of dollars? I mean, you know, over each year, over several years, you know, which was a lot of money 25 years ago. It still is, but back then it was even that much more. How can I make all that money and I'm dead broke? And I have IRS liens and I have credit card bills and all these things where I'm a couple hundred thousand dollars in the red yet after making all that money. And I, I, you know, you know, I don't have a pot to piss in type thing. It's what my dad would have said. So that was my that was my head scratcher. And I realized, you know, I did what everybody told me to do. I made money, made money, made money. And if I didn't have enough money, I'd go sell another house to pay for the next thing. And it just became like, all right, I can afford it. I just need to go sell another house kind of became my my mental mantra. But then all of a sudden life t- took a situation where I couldn't just go sell another house. So that was this first myth that I kind of bumped up against that I like to teach today. Because in the entrepreneur in the entrepreneurial world, most what everybody talks about is how to make more money. Like that's the be all end all. And it's it was my conditioning back then. And it's still the conditioning today. And here's the thing, like the day that you can't make a paycheck is the day it's a bad day. And so there's more to money than just making it. And so what I learned is that that it's a complete big fat lie that how we build wealth is to make a lot of money. Making more money is just more velocity. It, it can improve this, the amount of time. It can increase the amount of time or speed up the time that we can build wealth. But income and wealth are radically different. Income is the money we make. Wealth is the money we have through asset value. And assets then can become the, the employer, right, in the sense that the assets produce the money, our hard work doesn't. And there's only two types of income, working income and non-working income. I don't even like the word passive income. But working income is our business income. We're going in out every day and we're slinging whatever we're slinging to bring in revenue or bring in money to our household that we can use to pay our bills. And then, you know, so the more money we make, then what's called Parkinson's law and the Parkinson's law of money says that expenses will always rise to match income. So what happens when I only made, you know. $50,000 $50,000 a year straight out of college, I had a $50,000 lifestyle. When I bumped up to $100,000, ooh, now I can afford a different car and a different, you know, different place and I have a $100,000 lifestyle and then I'm making $300,000 a year. Now I have even a bigger house and two expensive cars and the kids are in private school and now I've got the little lake house that I'm starting to do. And I just had all, and the vacations are expensive and all those things and on a monthly basis it looked like I could afford it with all those bills, right? but you know when the income took a dive i had nothing left over but credit card bills so to understand that in the money game income and wealth are different and there's two different games we can play we can play the income game our entire life just chasing the money thinking more is better more is better or we can play the wealth game and the wealth game is radically different and very few people play the wealth game mostly because we don't even know there's two money games to be in First, and then two, that even if we kind of know there's something different, we don't learn what we need to learn about money to actually play the wealth game. And people that have asset wealth play a different game. They think about money differently. They talk about money differently. they spend money differently. It's not a it's not a um, shameful subject. It's something we look at and talk about all the time like anything else that's important. And you really understand your money. Like if you're going to have wealth, you have to spend time with it, look at it, know it, know every number, know where it's going, know where it's not going, see where it's in alignment, out of alignment. And ultimately, you can't be in the buy my value game because as we increase social statuses, if everybody in the social status has a Rolex watch watch, and Mercedes, really expensive clothes and goes to hang out at Tulum at these really expensive you know, kind of resort type things that to be able to fit in with everyone. But again, they're not building wealth at the same time, kind of building those assets. What we're doing is we're buying our fame. We're buying that at the cost of our future self not having any money or a future self situation like I was in that all of a sudden, you know, it's existential financial despair and nobody wants to be there.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much gold there. A uh, few things zinging around in my head. I had a guest on the show, Shannon Graham, and he shared this quote that I think is so profound. "Is like, you cannot have that which you don't feel internally worthy of. No amount of external validation, no amount of stuff is ever going to make you feel more worthy than you are right now. So stepping into that worthiness Is something that shannon argues and that i would philosophically agree with is like no amount of doctoring on the outside is ever gonna kind of cure that so love that i wanted to add an exclamation point to the biggest myth i just want to make sure nobody missed that uh it's because it's something i wanted to cover is that the answer to all money problems is to make more money is absolutely false so thank you for highlighting that and the other thing too is i think it's a world that um is very well hidden The, the world that you just described is high income poor people it's like you don't realize that that they are just as broke as anybody else that but but they're driving around i think uh i I don't know who i heard describe this but it's like it's like you have the the golden handcuffs of just going from your your from your bmw to it's like it's just like a a high-end version of jail (laughs) you know you're locked into it but you're just doing it a little bit nicer um so 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 much that you added there that i would highly encourage everybody to skip back 30 seconds and just make sure you you caught all that I wanted to dive into some of the foundational principles, and I think you were starting to allude to some of this. But one of the things that I wrote down um, that that is a conversation that's come up, but I would love to hear you or have you emphasize this. Uh, You talk in your book about how much is enough, um, and starting from there as being one of the places that you absolutely need to start. So I would love for you to add on that and why that's part of your philosophy and what you do. Well,
1: to me, it's the most important, one of the most important philosophical and practical questions we can ask ourselves. And because it covers it kind of covers the gamut but again we're not taught that this is something we need to think about first we're just in the chase of money we're kind of building businesses or we're working hard and we're collecting a paycheck and we think if we work harder or we do more then there's gonna be more money and more money is gonna ultimately buy my more happiness one way or another and it's just kind of it's just the culture we're in and then we have Parkinson's law and these different things are always in effect if we don't understand them we're gonna be victim to them so and again, it's just and then we work hard and we make more money and we have a nice lifestyle and it feels really good. Like I said, on that plane I referred to. The thing is, is with how much money is enough. It's a place to be satisfied. It's a place where you're that's like a it's a target. So there's no way if you say I want to go on a. I I want to go on a trip and you're super excited about it. You're not going to go anywhere if you don't have a target or a destination first. And we've heard all these things before. It's not rocket science. It's not brand new. But it's still it's like kind of one of those things that we're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it, got it. But we don't really get it. So our financial destination really answers the question of how much money is enough. And so if, you, if anybody's listening, how much money is enough? Can you answer it just like that, a snap of a finger? And if you can't, then right there, it, it means that there's work to be done. And money is a life concern and it's a life skill. And you know, it's not taught in school. We don't think about it that way. It kind of seems like common sense. You make money, you pay your bills, and hopefully you have some left over to invest. And over time, there's this thing called retirement and it's happy ever after. It's kind of, you know, it's it's the Disneyland of money in a way. But again, it does not work that way. That's all like an illusion. It's all make-believe. So how much money is enough? We need to arrive at that question. The sooner you can do that, the younger you can do that, it just makes money easier because everything will derive off that number. But how much money is enough? So what do we mean by that? How much money enough means how much does it cost to live my good life? So philosophically now, we have to think about what is a good life? What's in it? What, you know, who's in it? What's in it? You know, for some people, maybe it's a private jet. You know, that's part of their good life for other people. Maybe it's like, you know, if I have a good home and this and that and I'm healthy and I can put my kids in private school and and, you know, I get to take a vacation once or twice a year and yeah, I mean, whatever it is, but everybody gets to make up their version of a good life and it just means a good life and it means a good life. that's not like it doesn't have to be over the top, but it's not made of a lot of sacrifice either. So that's that's what it is. But philosophically, what is a good life? And that's what I call lifestyle architecture. It's really architect out. Because if you if we we'll use a house metaphor, if you say, hey, I want to build my dream home, there's all sorts of types of dream home. You might have a two-story, 4,000-square-foot house on the lake, and I might have a single-story, you know, small bungalow in, in, you know, in the center of the city. So each of us has a different architecture, a different dream. So you have your dream and I have my dream. Now we have to architect it. We have to, like, plan it out. We need to have that blueprint. So the blueprint for money is quantifying it. Now, how much does it cost to live that life? And you need to be able to say, is it 100,000 a year, 250 a year, a million a year, 10 10 million a year? Again, your number to live your lifestyle, but you design it first and then you quantify it second. So now that's kind of it. So let's just say, you know, to keep the math easy, let's just say it's $100,000 a year. And when you have zero debt and zero payments money goes a lot farther by the way it's just we don't have a lot of money left because we have all these big payments but the thing is this let's just pretend it's a hundred thousand dollars a year so now what that is is today especially when you're younger that's why starting younger you have more time and can take advantage of compounding and take more risks and things when you're in the wealth game and not the income game so start now getting into this type of mindset and operation but if it's um, if our working selves when we're younger and we've got a lot of energy and you know tenacity and ambition and you know you're not as tired as, as I am at my age you know um, that type of thing that you don't realize you're going to get old when I was young I didn't realize I was going to get old and a little bit more tired and didn't want to work as hard because you can't feel it yet right but now when I reflect back I'm like oh my god you know my kids have so much energy so the thing is is that they you're working for two selves you're working for your current age self, and you're working for your 20-year-older future self. So every dollar you make today is to take care of yourself today and your future self twenty, at least 20 years out. And that's called the long game and the short game. And you're using your working income to fund both lives so that your 20-year-older self, or 30 or 40, but hopefully we don't have to do it 40 years because you're starting young, that you're going to have enough asset value that you're gonna build towards that those assets then can throw off that $100,000 a year. And that's the stage we call financial independence, financial freedom, financial sovereignty, whatever you wanna call it. But that's the day when your assets now can throw off $100,000, which let's say that's about $2 million in asset value to pull out 5%, then now you don't have to work anymore or you can change careers. Or if you've been working for corporate 20 years now, you can do your, your startup or do your next thing if you wanted to. But it's just really to understand the wealth game is the game about financial freedom and it's all about net worth and asset value and and knowing your balance sheet and building a balance sheet over time in this long game while you're living your life today so if you're going to live if you're if you need to live on a hundred thousand dollars today and want your future self to have a hundred thousand dollars tomorrow you have to make more than a hundred thousand dollars because if your lifestyle costs a hundred thousand dollars and you add what you're going to pay on taxes on top of that and you la- and you add some savings on that for just a rainy day fund and some other you know cash and savings accounts that i teach and then you add on that the amount that you need to invest on a monthly basis to hit that two million in 20 years if that's the thing now you're realizing you're going to have to bring in more than a hundred thousand dollars today to be able to live off a hundred thousand today and tomorrow so this is what's called know your numbers we start with how much money is enough and know what those numbers and now reverse engineer through some reverse engineering compounding calculators, some very simple math, but a lot of sketching, a lot of thinking and reverse engineer in to know how much money you need to make so that if it stayed completely consistent, you never even made more money, you've got a plan. And now that becomes your financial plan. And as you make more money, you adjust the plan a little bit as more money comes in. And you, you know, you can either put more velocity all towards and shrink the 20 years down to a certain time, or you can increase everything a little bit more, keep the 20 the same, but have more lifestyle spending today. But they're different. Again, there are different ways to get there, and it's a little bit different for everyone. But this is the money work we need to do, and that's you know that's why I created the Money School is to teach these very fundamental financial laws, financial principles, and the mechanics of understanding how to build wealth, know your numbers, become very intimate with your money, and manage it powerfully. When you're in the wealth game, you you manage your money, you move your money, you have this tight tight grateful relationship with your money. You don't just like set it and forget it and not look at your bills and hope there's enough left over and and that and and so a lot of people think well i'll manage my money when i have more of it it's like no you'll have more of it when you manage your money and there's really just no escape from that so uh the sooner that you just understand how money operates and develop this as a skill and manage it really well and have have this great thing and if you get married or have a significant other spouse and they're in it with you and now you can do this type of work as a couple you can even exponentially grow faster and and avoid a lot of like fighting and and conflict. But all that fighting and conflict that will come when you're, you know, in a relationship married with a partner that doesn't understand money or has radically different money values and and beliefs and things, which is usually the case because opposites attract. Now we're just inviting a lot of financial struggle into this future. That again, when we're not there yet, we can't even imagine that's going to be the case. But I'm just saying I, I do this every single day, and that's the situation we're kind of creating for ourselves. So, again, the reason why I love talking to your age group is like, man, learn this now, start applying it now. And there's going to be lots of struggles in life, but we can solve the money one. Money doesn't have to be a struggle.
0: Mm. Oh man! If you were listening and something was inspiring you, and uh, you're like, man, I want to learn more and do a deeper dive, I will just recommend right now, before we even get to the end, if you go to christina.com, that's two s's, k r i s s t i n a.com, uh, you, that's where I found uh, Christina gives away a free copy of her book. You can download. Four Simple Steps to Building West. She she gives away a masterclass too. I read the book uh, just the other day. And if you want to go back to these foundational principles, if you weren't taught this stuff in school, which you probably weren't, um, you know, a great, great place to start and make sure that you have those answers for yourself. And she walks you through some incredible exercises. So I would highly recommend uh, anybody do that. A few things to highlight. Um, I just want one sentence you said that stood out to me is everybody gets to make up their own version of a good life. And I think that that's profound in its its simplicity. It's just the fact that it's like, you, you have to be so careful that it's your version, that it's not, and it's so hard to compare yourself to somebody else's version, but it's like, have you done the work to understand what your version is? Um, because if you're comparing your success, quote unquote, to somebody else's success, when you haven't clearly established if it me- if their version of success even means anything to you, you're just kind of chasing something that just goes all over the place. So love that. And I also just love the analogy of just kind of imagining that you're funding two versions of yourself at all times. There's the present version and the 20-year-old version of yourself. Um, so just something very visual. And you alluded to uh, marriage uh, in money, which is something I want to dive a little bit deeper on. But there's another topic that I had as a little bit higher priority that Um, something that I just think is absolutely incredible, and I don't see this that often, is somebody that has high income, that that learns, that, that knows about investing and, do, and does all these incredible things, but still has kind of a minimal, minimalist mindset. Um, and I that is something that I always strive for is like, it's never been about the flashy things for me. It's always been about the experiences, the time I get to spend with loved ones, um, and just being true to that. But I, I haven't really had this conversation on the show yet. And I know you kind of share some of this minimalist philosophy, even though you, you have the, the resources. So I would love for you to share a little bit about how you approach where to invest your money and how you approach, um, you know, what you choose to spend money on with kind of that, that understanding.
1: Yeah. So when you know your numbers and you reverse engineer into everything, it just gives you, it gives money a purpose. So what we find out how I teach is there are these five categories of money. Well, there's like these three master categories of money. And when we understand we can separate them to work in them separately and then they integrate like our body has all these different systems Our brain is a different system that our hearts a different system and our guts a different system But they're integrated and they all work together So the health of one influences the health of the other and the you know illness in one creates illness in the other So we're these complicated systems But that's kind of a whole body health and wellness means we're taking care of all these pieces of the body But they're distinct and they require different things so our lungs, you know, we need to get some cardio exercise for our muscles. We need to do some heavy weights, but, you know, whole body experiences. So the whole money experience is the same thing. Like we have these three major um, pieces to it, uh, organs, if you will. And so in each one of them needs to be taken care of and needs its own um, uh, just time and, and energy put into that. So the first one is making money and you know being an entrepreneur i teach business owners really how to the fundamentals of business and how to build their business towards profit because it's not re- revenue it's not top line we're focused on bottom line and understanding how to create bottom line re- bottom line profit as opposed to focused on top line revenue revenue only matters to create profit and if you know how much you know how if you know how much profit you want and your profit margins then you can know how much revenue that you need to make in your business and now you can have a business plan that creates that amount of revenue you're not just guessing at it So that's the first category is or if you're, you know, if you have a job, like what is the career path and and how much money can you make? And is it enough? And, you know, what other type of income streams maybe can we bring in to make sure that we're making the money? So that's all career and business concerns and becoming good at both the the skill of making money and building those those income streams over time. The second category then is where we pay ourselves and kind of how we pay ourselves and where we pay ourselves. And I recommend even for those that are kind of, you know, W-2 to at least create a business, kind of get an LLC or S-corp that you can run some money through to start getting some business type experience. But now when we move our money to our household, I want you to treat your money like a business, like your household money, like a business. And that's a very different distinction. And we're creating profit in our household. So we're running profit, household profit and losses to understand the basics of financial statements, like a profit and loss, and a balance sheet. And again, when you're in the wealth game, these financial statements matter. You use these as tools for your wealth creation. Now, if you were a builder, you have to have tools, like you need a hammer, you probably need a you know, a saw, and you need a screwdriver. You know, you're know, you never gonna be able to create the, the wealth without those tools. And so financial wealth has tools that are called financial statements. So that's the thing. We wanna really manage our money through our household. And then the third category is the balance sheet, the portfolio that we build over time. So we're in all of these separately, but then they all really work together because the net worth that when you create for the net worth we want to create for our, for our few 20 year older future self, that's where we start. That's the number we want to start with because that dictates that's based on how much money it costs to live our good life. So we start with that number, that tells us how much money we need to make today, which influences how much money we need to make in our business or or in our career. So that's how they're separate, but that's how they combine. And then sometimes we're just focused on the career or business and that kind of time we spend in a week on money. Sometimes it's managing the money in our household and paying our paying bills and putting money in the different buckets and working that and then sometimes it's looking at portfolio buying some investments or managing or selling whatever that might be. So again, we can go in and out each one but to understand they're all interrelated and connected and once we can connect the dots. Now we have a plan we have this financial system that's working powerfully together like a really well healthy body that's working together. So finances can be healthy or they can they cannot be healthy. So we want financial wellness, we want financial health, and our bodies, you know, are very similar in the way we want to organize these things and think about it. So that's that's that piece. And then the um then within our household is a business, kind of the middle category, that had there's five categories of money. There's there's ten categories of money in our in our business, there's five categories. In our um, household, and there's 10 categories in, in, um, in our investment. So, when, again, once you have the model for this, you can just start, I call it paint by numbers. But the five categories in our household, which the first we want to get really good at managing the money that we make currently because that influences how well our future money is going to be. But the first category is income, like we talked about, the second category is taxes that especially as entrepreneurs if, you know whoever's an entrepreneur taxes is a big part and tax strategy becomes a big part of wealth investments that's the investments bucket like how much money we're going to invest both in our body and ourself as well as financial investments to hit that 20 year older number net worth number and then um, we have lifestyle expenses how much does it cost to live our life on a month-to-month kind of annualized basis and then we have savings expenses and savings are an expense savings and, and investments are different so savings expenses meaning we're spending money out of our income we make today to put and set aside for different types of uses and i teach three categories of those savings expenses one is kind of that rainy day reservoir so we need to have three to six months saved for this rainy day events and they happen that's why you need it there otherwise it goes on a credit card and once you start getting behind it's really hard to ever play catch up You have your education evolution bucket. This is to stay educated, to be able to have the money, to continue to learn, evolve, to put your kids in school, these different things that you want to save for, because these are, you know, tend to be more expensive outside of your month to month. And then your dreams bucket, your dreams, which funds, you know, your vacations or the weddings that you're going to go to, or the improvement to your house that you, you know, the outdoor furniture. I'm doing a big outdoor furniture area right now and and really putting money into, Uh, The exterior of my house and that's coming out of my dreams bucket, you know, and I've been saving for that So this is money that's pre-spent You spent it this month to spend it later on because you need little bits to grow over time So when we understand this what it allows us to do again It just makes money management really easy and allows us to fund the key operative word here is fund we know how to fund every aspect of our life we're funding our future self, we're funding Uncle Sam, we're funding our month-to-month lifestyle, we're funding our health, and we're funding our, you know, kind of the evolution and dreams of, you know, what we, kind of those, those great things we want to do. So I'll complete all that by saying, when you know your numbers, and I do an exercise called money and meaning, and you start really looking at where your money's going, and it's either alignment with this future self and kind of the life that we want to leave, or it's out of alignment. So if we say, for example, you know, health and wellness is really important to us, but you look at your money, money becomes a mirror. And you have all of those DoorDash expenses and you know, eating out and you know, see a few McDonald's and Burger Kings in there, it's like, you know, my money's showing me that I'm kind of out of alignment with what I say is important to me. And, um, so anyway, that's why we want our money to really show us our behavior it says it's t- telling us how we're behaving and feeling in these different things is, is like that mirror. So again, money becomes a really good tool for us to see how we're living our life and where happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction comes from ultimately deep down is we have to get out of that comparison game. Like when we quit comparing because we're so bound in determined to create our good life because we've determined that. All of a sudden, all that other stuff and that the game everybody else is playing is unimportant. You're realizing that it's all a facade and it looks like they're doing far better in all the things than they probably really are. And you've kind of in behind closed doors because you have a secret that nobody else has kind of figured out there in that crazy game. And then ultimately what that kind of does is when you look at this and you start behaving this and it's completely alignment with your good life and your values and your beliefs and what's important to you and not the comparison game, you kind of realize that all that shit that we spend so much time buying to try to prove ourselves and all the things, it's just unimportant. And it naturally, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go be a minimalist. It's just like becoming a minimalist just kind of happens because you're just playing a different game. It's like, I really don't care about any of that because that's going to rob me of all these things that are important to me, like experiences and, and having great relationships and having time to take off, to spend with people we care about. And it's one less thing to worry about that, you know, big expensive houses are really expensive to maintain really expensive cars are really expensive to keep going and maintain and put gas in and keep clean so all of a sudden that our possess our possessions possess us and you notice that so when you when possessions really don't matter they don't possess you and you're just like living a really good satisfactory life that feels really good and ultimately we're looking for time and the more, the more stuff that we have, it robs us of time. Now we have to spend all that time that we could be really hanging out and doing fun things or having experiences. Now we need to stay home. And that's where you said that prison cell you're talking about. It's like, I can't get out of the house because I have all these house projects to do. And I have to go to t- Home Depot 10,000 times. Or, you know, whatever the case is, we just realize that, that our life is kind of really tethered down as opposed to being really free. And I think as humans, ultimately, we just want to feel free. We just don't know how to create that freedom. Because what common sense and kind of our culture and what it appears to, that that's the only thing we have to gauge on unless we do this type of work is we're just doing what everybody else is doing without realizing it's kind of sabotaging what we're kind of here for in the first place.
0: Hmm. Well, that was a masterclass right there. I love, it's just, it's seeing your mastery in teaching is just incredible. I asked you a question about minimalism and you're like, wait, I would be doing everybody a disservice if I didn't give everyone the full context. So if you want to skip back and listen or go check out the book, Five Categories in the Household, Income, Taxes, Investment, Lifestyle, Savings, Expenses, you can break that down into Rainy Day, Education, Evolution, and Dreams. Um, and then understanding more about money and meaning and, and, you know, kind of, I, I love that, that at the end, when you just kind of boil it down to it, our possessions possess us is just so, so powerful and understanding that once you clear through all the crap, that's where all the, the gold is. And that's the stuff that usually is free <laughs> and, and you, but the, but the free stuff does require time, right? So it's like, if you've robbed yourself of your time, you can't even have the free stuff, which is having a meaningful conversation with someone sitting across from your loved ones and enjoying a camp night or your new porch that you're putting together for everyone which is which is awesome so thank you so much for that incredible masterclass. Let's let's go back to a topic that you kind of alluded to before um, and it's money and marriage and I think that that is so important and I know you do like whole master classes and deep dives on this topic so uh, but I think what you alluded to earlier that, that specifically stood out to me it's like we all have these money issues individually right and then you get married and then you combine two separate money issues and then it becomes a whole separate height beast, ultra transformer thing. <laughs> so so, what are some ways that we can uh, untangle that or at least have healthy money conversations, uh, maybe some high level strategies on once we kind of combine our two mindsets on how we can move forward?
1: Yeah. I mean, money is money's crucial to the health of a marriage relationship. And again, it's one of those things, it's a taboo subject, and we don't know how to bring it up. And we usually feel lack of confidence ourselves or, you know, the different things. Not to mention, almost everyone has money baggage. You know, how would we know what to do? We simply, as kids, bring forward what we experienced as kids in all categories of life. So, you know, we have relationship baggage. I mean, we all have our baggage that we bring to a relationship. Um. And so money's no exception. So whatever the mindsets, the beliefs, the patterns, the behaviors, we tend to bring those from our parents. And we know that his or her parents are much, you know, they grew up very differently. And so when it's a taboo subject and we, and we don't, we have our own issues with it, it's going to be a really sour, difficult subject. And it's going to cro- it's going to cause strife in a relationship. So going into it, one, we can only be responsible for ourselves and we can only control ourselves, right? So the first thing for me is to learn money for yourself so that it's not a taboo subject. So it's something you've done the work, you understand. You know, sometimes I feel like a money therapist. Like give it, I've heard it all, I've experienced it all, just give it to me. There's no shame, there's no judgment. But let's clear it and let's let's get out of the old patterns and mindsets and let's, in programming, and let's create some new ones that are really healthy that's going to, you know, for you individually, is going to take you wherever you want to go. So that's the first piece. So that when you are in a relationship, again, it's not a taboo subject and you would know how to gently raise this type of issue, or not issue, but conversation. But then too, you know, going into a relationship, anything that's swept under the rug and not talked about, it's going to raise its head later on. So, you know, so, you know, if we're looking at that, like, Uh, to to encourage or maybe influence them or say hey this is really important to me would you mind learning this or can we have these conversations or it's really important to me to have a monthly money date and we talk about these things I want to know about your values and beliefs and backgrounds and how you feel about it and And let's talk about these things. Is there anything I can do? Like, let's talk about money roles. You know, do you like to manage it or do I like to manage it? Or, how? you know, do you want your money or my money? Or, you know, there's different ways to go about it. But ultimately, it's just to know that if we sweep this subject under the rug, it's going to come back to haunt us. And I can't tell you, again, doing this work for as long as I've been doing it and the people I've worked with, is that I can promise you money tends to be one of the biggest sore subject. And even the best marriages, this money thing, just it it hurts them, you know. One, it's just kind of that that cut that keeps keeps cutting, and um, so for us, I guess the answer to your question is just make it a personal intention to get good with money, and money is a skill. It's learned. Like we can't go just say, hey, I want to be a pilot and fly planes, and think like, oh, through osmosis or reading a few books or listening to a few podcasts, all of a sudden we can be a pilot and and safely fly from point A to point B. We have to understand, you know, the, you know, the, the instruments, the, the plane, the, the science, the, you know, um, all the different parts. I mean, there's so many things to learn. But then you have to practice it, and you go learn. And you have to sit in the, in the other seat and learn from, you know, the, the pilots going to teach you and put in hours and hours and hours. So we, for some reason, since we can make money and spend it, we don't think that there's it's a skill. There's anything we really need to learn. And there's so much dono dono that keeps people trapped. And the more you're in the dono dono, kind of in this social conditioning and kind of, kind of way we grew up programming, it just, it keeps us stuck. And there's gonna be an age where you wind up thinking, I thought I would be farther ahead by now. I thought this would be easier. I thought things would look different. And we, when we're young, we think we're the exception, but nobody's the exception. This is the rule. So if we can understand that money's a skill, with it's a knowledge-based skill that there's a little bit of academics to learn first, but then it's an applied learning, applied skill. The thing about money, it's not difficult, <laughs> you know, relative to so many other life things that are really difficult, parenting and marriage and health. And those things are can be really hard. Money is the easiest big life skill of them all. But so I say, start there. Don't make it the last one that we wanna tackle. And then, um, and you know, after that, like I said, money's a non-issue. We can now focus on the other things in life that are, you know, <laughs> that we need to learn about as well. But that's yeah. the point I want to make: is is to understand that if you're in the wealth game, you need to learn. You want to invest some time, energy, and money. You want to learn from your master, or masters, and and don't reinvent the wheel. Just follow somebody else's will that's working really well. Yeah,
0: another piece of simple and foundational advice I think is just in the very beginning. It's like learn it for yourself first. I think that lots of times. In marriage or in relationships it's easy to say oh you need to kind of figure this stuff out without having done it yourself first and just uh, the language that I, I heard you say, this is very important to me that we have conversations about this. And I think that if you're with a compassionate partner or somebody that understands that, you know, that that you're working to understand this stuff better and then you can have those conversations. And like you said, just not sweep it under the rug. I think you call it like the ostrich effect, like the bury your bury your head underneath the sand. It's not gonna go away and it's gonna come up in unhealthy ways, probably will cause even more stress if you're not having these kinds of conversations. So um, this reading I mean, you're going I think through your a lot content more.
1: Yeah. just spend a lot more in therapy than you will. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So going
0: through your stuff again was a huge forcing function. I said to my wife last night, it's like, we need to have some, you know, like the, the, the you know, I, it would, it would mean a lot to me for us to have like these conversations on a more recurring basis and kind of build habits around that kind of stuff. So, um, also good. I, th- so there's, there's two other places I want to go and we'll probably, that will probably be the last, uh, we can talk about, um, uh, one is categorically more mindset which i know is so important in what you talk about but but i i guess i'll put this as a subset under mindset. And it's a really interesting topic that I haven't had a chance to really talk to too many people of. I highlighted this portion from your book um, and it says, I've invested time into the study of language. I believe that our linguistic distinctions equal our capacity for action and that there is a fundamental difference between learning about and learning to do. We produce results with an ability to do, not an ability to know theoretically. So obviously you were picking apart something there, but the, the, the thing that stood out to me is I've invested time into the study of language. And this is something that I have started studying a lot more recently is just you know by function of us speaking English there are certain like concepts or things that we can't even conceptually understand whereas somebody you know growing up in a different language has done other stuff and I don't I don't know if you've read the book uh Conscious Language by Robert Tennyson Stevens or heard about it but I was I was at an event and this guy lives full time on a yacht. We were on his yacht and he was like, "This is my favorite book. I completely eliminated X, Y, and Z from my language patterns." And I'm like, "That is I, that is really interesting. I've never heard anyone say that before." Picked it up, great book. I reached out to Robert. He said uh, uh, his 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 uh, marketing person said tentatively yes to coming on the show. So I'll see if I can schedule that. But anyways, uh, long way of saying I haven't heard that many people talk about this this concept of language. And so I would love to dive in a little bit here um, on what your study. Of language has led you to adjust in your life and how it's kind of colored the way that you communicate and also maybe the internal dialogue that you have yourself?
1: Well, we actually see through language. You know, if we didn't have, if we didn't know that was a tree, we wouldn't know what we're looking at. So, and we can coordinate through language. So when I say, hey, there's a tree and I can describe it through language, you can find the same tree if I do a good job describing it. So it's a way we communicate and coordinate and it's the way we see, we see through language, but we don't really understand even what that means but language and distinctions and so for example i uh i teach a class it's a kind of a small business mba type class and so i teach i teach entrepreneurs how to how to think and be like real businesses like real business owners and so i asked the group i said in fact i just wrote a blog article about this that came out of that that class but i said who here believes it's a, who believes in this class, like all my students, who believes that trust and value are important to business? All hands went up, right? Would we all agree that trust and value are important to success in business? Now I said, I want everybody to, to give me a definition. And so people try to go around the definitions. They're kind of who, you know, like, well, trust is kind of like this or that, but the point is that everybody had different answers and they couldn't really articulate what the definition, what trust meant, what value meant. So how can we create trust and value in our business and in the marketplace when we don't really know what it means? When it's an idea or a feeling or a sense and, and so, but when we know what the word means, when we know the word trust has three components and we're after building trust and it takes time and trust is built around sincerity. We trust people who are sincere, meaning that we know that they mean what they say and we have enough time, we spend enough time with them that every time they say something, they, they mean what they say. And then another part of trust is reliability. People are reliable. So we build trust. When they say they're going to do something, they do it over and over every time they say they're going to do it. We can trust that person. That person says what they mean, and they mean what they say, and they do what they say they're going to do. So that's different than people who say they're going to do something and never do it or, you know, sometimes do it. So, and then the final part is just competency, is that we want to, it means that they have results and they're competent to be able, I'm competent to be able to teach money, for example. Why? I've done it. (laughs) Um, I've got all the results to show it. So the, so it's just understanding that value has distinctions. In money, money is language. So every domain of knowledge, their, their schools of knowledge or bodies of knowledge, they all have their own language. So you were talking about we speak English and French speak French and, you know, some speak Spanish. But that's kind of those are those are foreign languages for us. But every body of knowledge has language. So my um, my daughter's kind of significant other, he's going to med school. He's in his third year. The first three years of med school had really just learning language, just all the body parts, these long words, you know, knowing what they mean. And they're being tested all the time to know what all these words mean. So if doctors are in a room together, they can be spinning off all these words and be talking a language, even though it's in English. They can be talking and the rest of us have no clue what they're talking about so they can act with that knowledge. They can go out and do surgeries or they can go out and you know do whatever they're going to do and talk and communicate between them. I can't go take action on that. I don't know what the words mean even if I hear them all the time if I've never studied them or haven't been tested on them and haven't been able to perform them. So that's just understanding this kind of goes with what I've seen before. When we if you can believe it to be true that money is a body of knowledge and it's skill, it's it's meaning we act on the language, then we understand that that's part of what I teach. There, what's the difference between um, investments and savings? What's the difference between income and wealth? What is a balance sheet? What is a profit and loss? What is um, what is capital how is capital different than cash you know what is liquidity what is non-liquidity what are these different parts of portfolio you know so how can we ever act to create wealth if we don't know what kind of this just the basic words mean and again we have ideas but ideas we can't perform with ideas going back to the plane the pilot there's a whole distinction i've been in lots of planes with pilots and they have all the different language, and you know they go off knots versus you know miles per hour. So you know, what I mean, like you can't do that without study. So if I hadn't made the point, money is the most one of the most important life skills. Like, take some time to learn it and to apply that learning. And part of that is the language you learn to be able to act intentionally according to what that word and outcome you want to produce from that word.
0: Mm-hmm. Incredible, and, and I just think the biggest takeaway. From 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 that, if you're just listening, like, oh, how do I actually apply this and all this kind of stuff? I think to me, the most thing that's been the most valuable is just understanding that you are speaking a language. Sometimes it's like you're a fish swimming in water, and you don't even know that you're swimming in water. You know, it's like the 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 language that we're using is like you said in the beginning. It's a filter. It's shaping our reality. And um, when I read conscious language, I became much more conscious about my language, <laughs> uh, you know? It's so like that simple distinction, that simple understanding I think uh, is pretty profound. So I appreciate you sharing some of your insights on that. Um, I know we have just four minutes up here, uh, so I wanna be mindful that if you have something back to back here. So uh, I guess where is the best place? I know we talked about Christina.com, K-R-I-S-S-T-I-N-A.com, and that'll lead you to some of the other stuff. Any other place that you would love to send people to make sure that they're uh, checking out if they wanna explore more of your stuff?
1: Yeah, that's a great place if you want to download a copy of the book like you did, because I talk a lot of these distinctions and stuff. So thank you. I really love that you read the book and pulled out some of those nuggets. And then I do have a quiz that if they're for entrepreneurs, it's the 10 financial questions every business owner needs to be able to answer but can't. And so it's a, it's a wisemoneymethod.com forward slash quiz. WiseMoneyMethod.com forward slash quiz. So it's a really fun quiz that you can test yourself to find out the score. <laughs> of um, how many of those questions you know, but more importantly, that's just kind of a fun quiz, just a, uh, but more importantly, um, if you take the quiz, I will email you a booklet, like it's a workbook, like it's a multi-page workbook that is to know your numbers and it will guide you through how to establish your how much is enough number. So awesome. it's, a, it's a full guide. So that's a that's a really great thing to is a place to start.
0: Sweet. I will say it one more time. K r i s s t i n a dot com. That'll take you to a whole bunch of. That's where I found the book. uh dot com slash quiz. If you want to take the quiz and apply some of what we're talking about today about understanding what is your enough number, so that and then obviously that's a whole separate game of uh, being comfortable of what enough is for you and then not comparing yourself to someone else, but that's the, that's the the journey that we're all on. So, uh, this has been a blast. I'm just going to have a really quick conversation with you listening. And I want to say if this is your very first episode and you happen to be hanging out with Christina and I today, I really appreciate you for, you could be anywhere else in the world, but you could, you chose to be here listening about this stuff. And if you stuck through the end, that means you are an absolute rock star. So I appreciate you. And if you're returning, you know how much I appreciate you for coming back week after week. And whether you're new or returning the favor that I always ask, if you, if you heard something today that impacted your life, whether it was Christina's story about, you know, growing up in a childhood, tough childhood circumstances and actually moving forward and, and crashing when she was 30 and building back up and applying and teaching all this incredible stuff. You can absolutely change someone's life if you choose to share this with someone. So not only will it make my day, I'm sure it will make Christina's day as well. Um, so all that to say, I appreciate you for being here. And Christina, any last things you want to say before we get off for today?
1: No, i just say the only thing I want to end is like, like make money something that's just juicy, a fun topic you want to learn, you want to get good at it and just have that passion about it and then just get over any kind of fear, shame or guilt or don't know or lack of confidence. And if we can move from one mindset to the other, I promise you just it makes life so much easier.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Christina. This has been a blast. I appreciate you.